Uh, well, a quick YouTube search of who is Jesus street interviews uh, is fascinating, uh, and it's very helpful for us to get a perspective on who people think Jesus is. Answers that people give in videos like this range from a historical figure, a normal person, a selfless person, a marketing genius, pretty sure he existed, extremely enlightened, just like really nice and really smart and stuff, probably a prophet with a strong connection to a higher spiritual being, God's son, but so were Muhammad and Gandhi. Last week, uh, Pastor Dan began to work through the book of Mark by looking at the first half of chapter one, where we saw Jesus' ministry uh, launch here on earth. And his ministry kicked off with his public anointing at the baptism in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, the one who had come to prepare the way. Jesus was then immediately driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, right, where he was victorious over Satan who tried to tempt him for 40 days After that 40 days, he goes back into the region of Galilee, and the first words that Mark tells us Jesus spoke in his public ministry are found in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus is out ministering in Galilee, we saw last week he calls some disciples, right? Simon and Andrew and James and John for fishermen. Follow me, he says, and they do, immediately. This morning, uh, we're going to pick up our story as Jesus takes his newly called disciples to the north edge of the Sea of Galilee to a village called Capernaum. Our sermon series in the book of Mark is called Amazed, uh, and this morning's message is titled Jesus' Amazing Authority. We'll be in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 45. That's on page 887 in the Worship Center Bible, if you'd open up there. Otherwise, if you're using the Church Center app uh, for for taking notes, not for texting, as uh, some pastor's sons implied last week, uh, you can open that app up uh, and follow along there. There'll be note spots and all of the uh, verses in there as well. So uh, as I work through, I want to encourage you to wrestle with this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Uh, A special challenge of preaching through the book of Mark is uh, that much of the book of Mark is simply narrative, uh, like our text today. It's different than a Pauline epistle, right, or a Pauline letter where sometimes you see dozens of imperatives in just one chapter, right? Paul says, do this or don't do this in many of his letters. But Mark is a story, right? It's Mark's account of what happened during Jesus' time on earth, and we get to watch Jesus walk out his days and walk out his ministry and learn from him. And so this morning and throughout this entire series, I really want to encourage you to pay attention to what Jesus does. Watch how he lives his life, because by watching what Jesus does, we can learn a lot about who Jesus is. As we work through this morning, we're going to see five events uh, that help us understand more of who Jesus is. And if you're able to be present and focused this morning on God's word and watch what happens in these first 48 hours of Jesus' ministry, it'll blow your mind. So uh, let's look at our passage for this morning in just a second, right? But leading into it, as we saw last week, Jesus had just called his disciples with some remarkable authority. Something about this Jesus is different. 
right? Put yourself in the shoes of these four fishermen. You woke up on the morning that Jesus was going to come along and you put on your gear and you gathered up your nets and you went out to the shore or into your boat and you sailed out and you started casting nets hoping to catch some fish. Maybe it had been a productive morning of fishing or maybe not, but while you're getting those nets ready and while you're casting them into the sea, some random dude shows up and says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. What are, you, what are you thinking when that happens? I know what I'm thinking. Okay, crazy, right? Like, I'm going to ignore this guy. I'm turning to my buddies and saying, hey, I, th- I think I saw a spot a little further out, a little, little down the shore that I could go where maybe this weirdo can't talk to us anymore, right? All right, bye, guy. This is, this is right, right? Like, that's what we're thinking when this random guy walks up to us and says, you're not going to fish for fish anymore. You're going to fish for people, but that's not what happens. Jesus says, follow me. And he's, the way he speaks compels all four of these fishermen to immediately leave the family business and go with him. What is that? Right? What is that? What kind of authority is this that they saw in Jesus that these men were so drawn to him? So this little band of brothers and Jesus are walking along the Sea of Galilee, headed north uh, to that village of Capernaum, and we come to our first two events. Let's look at Mark chapter 2, sorry, chapter 1, verse 21 to 28. It says this, they went into Capernaum and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. They were all amazed, and so they began to ask each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. The first event we see is Jesus teaches with authority. The very first thing that Jesus does when he enters that village of Capernaum is to enter the synagogue and begin to teach. According to one commentator, these uh, Jewish synagogues were not what we think about, were not like what we think about when we think about the temple in Jerusalem where sacrifices were practiced by the priests and by the people. Rather, they were more like assembly halls where the Torah was read and expounded. These gathering places called synagogues could be found all over the Mediterranean world. As Jesus is teaching, the people are astonished, it says, because he teaches as one who has authority, not like the scribes or sometimes uh, called the teachers of the law. It's easy to read this and think that the scribes were somehow poor teachers who taught without any kind of authority, right? But that'd be wrong. Scribes were revered for their understanding of the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible, also often called the law. Uh, And they were also great teachers. They weighed in on moral issues. Uh, They even served as civil lawyers. The front seats in the synagogue were reserved for these men. And when the scribes entered the room, people stood. Mark's point isn't that Jesus' teaching was good compared to bad. Mark's point is that Jesus taught with authority that was unbelievable, unlike anything anyone had seen 
before. The scribes' authority came maybe from the scriptures that they taught, from the traditions that they followed, or from the men that they learned under. But the authority of Jesus came straight from the Father in heaven. Mark chooses not to tell us what Jesus taught here, which is a little bit of a bummer, right? It's Jesus' first public synagogue teaching. He had 30 or so years to plan and prepare that sermon as compared to the 20 or so hours that uh, preachers here tend to take, right? 30 years, that had to be great. He had his whole life to consider what he was going to say, and people obviously were blown away. But I think Mark left that teaching out on purpose, right? I'm confident that people who were in attendance that day never forgot what Jesus told them. And so as Mark was gathering information to write his gospel, he could have talked to someone and he probably knew what Jesus taught, but he chose to leave it out. Why would Mark not want his readers to hear what Jesus said that day? I think because the point isn't what Jesus said, but who Jesus is. See, Jesus could have taught anything that day, and the result would have been the same. People would have been astonished. It's easy for us today to lose this sense of wonder that Jesus brought wherever he went and wherever he taught, right? We're so inundated with information. There's more information on the internet about any given topic than we could possibly hope to learn in a thousand lifetimes, right? We're saturated with information and it's so easy for us to lose what Jesus brought. Mark knew that if he told his readers what Jesus says, what Jesus said, that they would miss the point. Jesus has authority like no other. It didn't matter what he taught. It matters that he has authority like no other. When Jesus speaks, he compels decision. Fishermen, follow me. People of Galilee, repent and believe the good news. Who is this man with such authority? Jesus' authoritative teaching quickly flows into event number two. Jesus drives out an unclean spirit. Not only is Jesus powerful with his words as he teaches, but Jesus has the authority to cast out unclean spirits. He finishes his teaching and immediately a man with an unclean spirit was in the synagogue questioning Jesus. Many scholars argue that the way that the demon did it by calling Jesus out as the Holy One of God, uh, by doing that, the spirit was trying to gain some kind of advantage over Jesus. Maybe he was trying to identify him before Jesus was ready, right? I, I know who you are. You're Jesus. You're the Holy One of God, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to out you, and you're never going to be able to do ministry now because everyone will know who you are. Well, it didn't work, right? Whatever, whatever the demon was trying to do, it didn't work. And the demon even asks a question, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And then I know who you are. Jesus doesn't even give the question the dignity of an answer. Be silent, he says, and come out of him. See, Jesus had come to destroy the realm of the satanic and demons, and he shows here that he has complete and utter control over the unseen realm. Satan thought he had a chance, right? Satan thought that one day he'd rule this world and he would thwart God's purpose for humanity. One of the very first things that Jesus does in his ministry, in his public ministry on earth, is demonstrate that the power of Satan over the power of God is an absolute joke. 
We saw last week, 40 days Satan had to tempt Jesus, just like, he, just like he tempted Adam in the garden, right? But Jesus doesn't flinch. Jesus did what Adam couldn't. And now another spirit shows up and tries to undermine Jesus again. And it's a joke. His attempt is a joke. There's not a chance that it's going to work. There's no struggle, only victory, only authority, and only power. When this unclean spirit comes to identify Jesus as the Holy One of God, he's grasping at straws to try and maintain what little sense of control he might have left to somehow disrupt the ministry of Jesus by revealing who he was too soon. Not a chance. One commentator said it like this, Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit with the words, be silenced, come out of him. The defensive address of the demon was powerless before the sovereign command of Jesus. In contrast to contemporary exorcists who identified themselves by name or by relationship to some deity or power, who pronounce some spell or perform some magical action, Jesus utters only a few direct words through which his absolute authority over the demonic power that had held the man captive was demonstrated. Other exorcists of the day might have charged a fee or figured out how to manipulate evil spirits such that they might come out for some sort of mutual benefit or they might appear to obey so that the, the exorcist could make money and the demon could go on deceiving men. Not Jesus. Jesus speaks and it compels action. Jesus didn't come to make money. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God near and Satan will have no part in God's kingdom. So who is this? Who is this one who calls and men follow, who teaches and compels response, who speaks and drives out demons? At this point, just a few verses into Mark's gospel, we've now seen Jesus identified twice, right? First, by God, who says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And now, by the demons, as the holy one of God. See, from the highest throne of heaven to the deepest pit of hell, Jesus is recognized as the Son of God. As we work through this book, we're going to see that it takes a little while for the disciples and for the people of Galilee to understand who Jesus is. But right from the outset, the spirits know. Who is Jesus? He's the Holy One. He's the Son of God, the one who has come to save the world. Repent and believe the good news. Let's pick back up with verses 29 to 34. It says this, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. He would not and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Event number three, Jesus heals sickness. No doubt, after the disciples saw Jesus cast out a demon, they obviously recognized his power, right? So, hey... Simon and Andrew thought, uh, our mother-in-law is sick. I bet I can get this guy to heal her. And Jesus does because he has the authority to call, to teach, to drive out demons, and to heal sickness. 
No magic spell necessary, no conjuring of some spirit to help, no going to the shop for medicine or paying off some sorcerer for his help. Jesus speaks, Jesus touches the woman, and the fever leaves. Jesus' authority comes from God in heaven. Not from somewhere else, it comes from God in heaven, and he is all-sufficient. He is all-powerful. There is nothing he can't do. Naturally, then, after hearing about all that Jesus had done, the whole town shows up at the door, and Jesus heals person after person and drives out demon after demon. This is amazing, right? It's amazing to think about what's going on here, but we've probably heard all of this before, right? That, that Jesus does all of this stuff, and I think it's easy for this stuff that seems so amazing to become a little dull, Right? Yeah, we, we get it. Jesus heals and Jesus drives out demons and that's what he did during his time on earth. But take a minute to let it sink into your mind what's really going on here. Jesus healing these people is amazing, right? We live uh, in Wisconsin Rapids or in some communities around here. Imagine that a man came here and stood at the doors of Crossview Church and all those who were sick or demon-possessed I haven't heard of any demon possessions in Rapids, but maybe. Uh, all, all those who were sick show up at the doors of Crossview Church, and this man heals them. Im- imagine the mind-blowing nature of an event like that. Right? Jesus is out walking in Galilee and preaching this message, repent and believe the good news of this new kingdom. He makes his way along the Sea of Galilee, and he calls some fishermen to follow him. And they do. They, they just leave everything and follow him. And then he goes and he absolutely lights up this synagogue with his teaching, such that the scribes, these great teachers, the greatest teachers of that region and of that day, those guys looked mediocre because Jesus was amazing. And then he casts out a demon. Like, think about it. He casts out a demon. It's, it's crazy. He heals a sick woman. She's sick one second, and the next second, she's not. I'm standing on stage. My voice is cracking one second. The next second, I'm totally normal. It's, it's amazing, right? And then he heals all those who were sick and demon-possessed. It's not an isolated thing. Jesus' ministry is wide-spreading, and he's, he's doing all this stuff. And like, this is day one. It's amazing what Jesus is accomplishing in day one, right? The authority and the power of Jesus as he bursts onto the scene and his ministry begins cannot be overstated. It can't. His authority and power cannot be overstated. There's no way to over-ascribe authority and power to Jesus. He has it completely. Anointed by God, power to teach and to compel and control over the spiritual and the physical. So who is this? Who is this Jesus that we're watching do all of these things? He's the Son of God. He's the Holy One. After, no doubt, uh, a late night of healing all those who were sick and demon-possessed, Jesus awakes very early the next morning, and he goes out to pray. Let's look at verses 35 to 38. It says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the neighboring villages, so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. Event four, 
Jesus clarifies his purpose. Jesus clarifies his purpose. You've had amazing experiences in your life, right? Amazing trips or amazing events that you've been a part of, maybe concerts or whatever. Nights that you wake up from and you think, wow, whatever I did yesterday was amazing. Family vacations that have ended and you got back and slept in your own bed for that night and you thought, oh, I just want to go back. I just want that vacation back. I just want that feeling back. Well, yesterday... The disciples watched as their new leader healed an entire village, cast out demons, and taught like no one had ever heard before. When they woke up, they wanted more. Meanwhile, Jesus is off praying. Jesus, it says, goes out into the wilderness where he was tempted for those 40 days to spend time with his father in heaven. Jesus' life is marked by these little moments where we get to see him commune with God the Father. It actually happens only two other times in the book of Mark. First, it's here, and then the next time it happens is following the feeding of the 5,000, and then the third time is in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he's arrested and heads to the cross. But whenever Jesus' ministry faces some sort of opposition, whether that's by demons or crowds demanding healing or by Pharisees or even the Roman Empire, our Lord goes out alone and he prays. Simon and the others don't know this yet, but that's where they'll find him. They go out searching, right? You can imagine the four being baffled that Jesus is gone. What in the world? Like, does he not remember what happened yesterday? Where is this guy? Where, where did he go? Is it, is it all over? Was this just like one day and now he's gone? What, what are we going to do now? We just left the family business. Uh, we we got to go find him. And so they set out with thoughts of bringing this amazing healer back to town, right? They're excited about all the opportunities that are before them and maybe even a little tempted by the fame and glory that awaits as they grow closer and closer to this one who is growing in fame by the minute. They get to Jesus. Everyone is looking for you. They say, Jesus, what are you doing out here? Don't, don't you know that everyone's in town? Everyone's looking for you in town. Is, isn't this what you wanted? Didn't you want crowds to show up and people to heal? Jesus' response is surprising. Right? In verse 38, Jesus responds by saying, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I might preach there. This is why I have come. The disciples have made a mistake about the purpose of Jesus coming. They were confused. They thought he'd come as no doubt others passing through Capernaum had before to make a buck, to gain fame and fortune, to do some tricks and to wow some people to heal the physical. Jesus had to clarify his purpose for them. Let's go so I can preach there too. This is why I have come. What was Jesus preaching? He was preaching the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus' purpose in coming wasn't to heal sickness or cast out demons or wow people with his miracles, though he did all of those things. Jesus' purpose in coming was to call people to repentance and belief. And so, again, we ask, who is this Jesus? Who is this one who calls people to repent and believe? Is he just a regular guy? 
Is he just some historical figure that existed a while back? Maybe a colleague of sorts of Gandhi? Or is he the son of God who had come to call people out of darkness and into the marvelous light? This chapter concludes with a fifth and final event. Jesus cleanses a leper. Let's look at verses 39 to 45. He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news, with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But he was out in deserted places, and they came to him from everywhere." Jesus, it says, is out in Galilee. As he was uh, walking around and teaching in synagogues and driving out demons, and a leper comes to him. Jesus moved with compassion, or as your footnote might say, moved with anger or indignation, makes him clean. You might be tempted to think that this is just another story that Mark is giving us about Jesus healing a sick person, but you'd be very wrong. Pay attention to verses 40 and 41. The leper in verse 40, kneeling before Jesus, says, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus, responding in verse 41, says, I am willing, be made clean. Leprosy was a term in the Bible used for a variety of skin conditions, right? We often think of uh, the white, peely people that we see in movies. Uh, But all of these skin conditions resulted in the person being unclean. Just like uh, the world is reeling today from coronavirus panic and people are setting up systems into place to protect the public, God had instituted very specific rules for those with leprosy among the Israelite people in order to protect the camp, the rest of the camp, from catching the disease. One commentator uh, described leprosy like this, the dread of its contagion is reflected in the following passage in Leviticus 13. The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. He says this is not simply the description of an illness. It is a sentence, the purpose of which was to protect the health of the community from a dreaded contagion. The personal situation of this leprous man was rough, right? He wasn't allowed to live a normal life with the rest of his people. He would have been outside the city in the wilderness with the rest of the lepers. Physical touch wasn't a luxury that he experienced on a regular basis. And some scholars would argue that this man probably hadn't experienced physical touch in years. He'd been robbed of his name, his occupation, his dignity, his family, his habits, his worshiping community. No doubt, word of Jesus' healing power had spread across the region of Galilee as he preached and drove out demons. And this man just knew that he had to go find this Jesus. And so, here he is. He comes upon... 
excuse me, he comes upon Jesus and his posse uh, traveling along and he gets on his knees begging. And he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He's desperate. The faith of this leper is remarkable, right? He gets on his knees before Jesus and he already knows that Jesus can do it. His only question is, will he? He doesn't question Jesus' power or his authority over this disease, only his desire. Even this disease that seemed incurable in this leper's context falls under the authority of Jesus. Moved with compassion, Jesus reaches out and touches him. He says, I am willing, be made clean. Your footnote says that it reads something like this, moved with anger, Jesus reaches out and touches him. It says, I am willing, be made clean. Jesus had compassion on this man, but he was angry at the broken and fallen condition of this world. It wasn't supposed to be this way, right? God's creation wasn't supposed to get sick and die and be cut off from community. Men and women created in the image of God were supposed to be healthy and thriving. And Jesus is angry that such brokenness exists in this world. And so he reaches out in compassion towards the man and anger towards evil and he touches him. And immediately the leprosy leaves him. Immediately. Can, can you imagine? Can you imagine standing there as a disciple, the worst skin disease that you've ever seen, peeling, flaking, sores. It was there and now it's not. It, it, was, it was right there and now it, like, What? Just imagine standing there. You saw it. You saw it with your own two eyes. That man was sick, and now he's clean. Imagine the man. Can you, can you put yourself in his shoes for a second? Your life was over. The second you contracted leprosy, your life was over. You were cast out. Everything was lost. Everyone was totally inaccessible. Everything changed. Your life was over, and just like that, you're clean. Just like that. And not just physically clean, but ceremonially clean. You're able to be restored to your family, your friends, your community. You're able to worship together. Again, you're able to experience human touch that you maybe hadn't in years. Jesus reached out and touched this man. And in an act that should have made Jesus unclean, it worked in the opposite direction. See, when, when Jesus touched that man, he should have become unclean. But instead, the man became clean. What, what kind of power is that? What kind of authority is it that Jesus has that when he touches the man, he becomes clean instead of working the way that it had worked throughout history? Jesus warns the man after making him clean and he sends him away, right? He tells him to go to the priests at the temple and make the sacrifices so that he could be restored fully to his community. Jesus has the authority to make someone clean. That's not authority that just anyone has, right? The, the priest could maybe declare someone clean after they'd made the sacrifices for some simpler thing, but with a disease like leprosy, there was no cure. There was no coming back from this. And so not only did Jesus drive out the disease, he brought full restoration to this man like no one had ever seen before. The now clean leper goes on and uh, it seems that he completes his cleansing and goes to the temple, but then he doesn't listen to Jesus and he proclaims what happens 
widely. It says such that the fame of Jesus grew and grew so he could no longer enter a town openly. It's hard for us to really blame the leper, right? His whole life was changed. But as we continue to study Mark, we're going to see that this fame of Jesus grows and grows and the crowds continue to gather because they're all asking the same question that we're asking this morning. Who is this? And so, church, as we close, I'll pose this question for you to wrestle with again one more time this morning. Uh, Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Is he a mere man? Is he a moralistic teacher like Gandhi? Is he someone who is extremely enlightened or, you know, just like really nice and really smart and stuff? As Mark writes these first pages of his book, it's impossible not to take notice of this Jesus guy, right? These first, this first chapter is so fast paced. Jesus is calling people to follow him and they're abandoning their jobs and he's teaching like no one has ever heard and he's casting out demons and he's making a joke out of Satan and he's healing people left and right and he's preaching that the kingdom is at hand. So repent and believe. He's making a leprous man clean. People had to get to this, this part of the story and think, what in the world just happened? He did, he did what now? Who is this? Well, here's the thing. The good news about Jesus is just beginning. Mark gave his gospel so people could see who Jesus is. And as we watch what Jesus does, we can learn a whole lot about who Jesus is. So, what's the application as we close this morning? First, if you know Jesus, if you've trusted Jesus as Lord of your life and you're clinging to the hope that he offers for your salvation, read on in the book of Mark with fresh eyes. Pay attention to who Jesus is and what he does and get to know him. Be astonished at his power and authority and be amazed at the love that he has for people even people like you. But as you read, don't read on and gloss over and read like you've read a dozen times before. Read so that you might fall more and more in love with him. Second, if you don't know Jesus yet, read on. Read on and watch what the Holy One of God does. Pay attention as he moves through the world and listen to what he says because I promise you, he's going to blow you away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your word. We're so grateful that you sent your son Jesus and then wrote about him so that we could watch and we could learn from his life. Lord, Jesus is amazing. And so would you just, would you just grip us with new wonder as we look at the book of Mark and as we watch how Jesus walked and how he taught and ultimately how he went to the cross and suffered and died on our behalf. Lord, give us a new sense of wonder. Help us to be enamored all over again with him. We love you and we thank you for this time in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.